Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, ugh, why are so many quotes from men and why is it so hard to find quotes from famous women? Plus, loophole women, trashing, and the Weinstein fallout among women. Who runs the world? Girls? Yes, girls. (laughs) I didn't mean that as a question. (laughs) And Amy Cuddy in the drama over power posing. Hi, Ann Friedman. Hey, boo-boo. What's up? Ooh, girl. It's getting cold out here. <laughs> this episode coming to you live. Well, not so live. From Chicago. Yeah. Where d- it's raining. Where it's raining. You know, we've been we've been on a little Midwest tour. It's been fun. So one thing that brought us to Chicago was we were co-hosting this day-long series of talks for Chicago Ideas Week, separate from our CYG business, which is ample. And... The script for the talk opened with a quote, uh, like a sort of set the mood for the day quote. The quote I was enraged to discover was from Charles Lindbergh. Ooh, what's problematic about Charles Lindbergh, And He's a Midwest hero, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nazi sympathizer. What? I know. Even the Wikipedia page is damning. He stole his own baby, but also he was a Nazi? (laughs) I know. The famed pilot who ventured into the unknown Mm. and was into genocide. That's like... Anyway, so we were like, obviously we can't have this quote in something that we're reading. And we went on a hunt to try to find a better quote that was sort of thematically similar and discovered that like every single one of those quote database websites, like eWiki quote, how, like whatever, <laughs> are just full of quotes from like terrible dead white men. Always. Yeah. But also when we finally found la- the lady quotes we needed because they needed to stick to the theme that was about like exploring the uncharted. And so when we finally found the quotes that we needed, surprise, surprise, all the ladies were badasses. I know. And so we learned so much about people who, like, it's, it's sort of tangential to our obsession with reading obituaries. But when we started researching the women who had given the few quotes we could find in these quote collecting websites, they were amazing, including this deep sea explorer named Sylvia Earle. Iconic biography who was a woman neither of us had ever heard of before, which is shameful, but maybe not because we're not oceanographic ladies. Yeah, because, you know, whenever people talk about the oceans, like, all you know is Jacques Cousteau, you know? All I know is my favorite stoner content to watch (laughs) is deep sea documentaries. Deep sea documentaries. Yeah, I'm really into Jacques Cousteau. He's got some daughters. Like, all his children do deep sea stuff. So, 
Yeah, I definitely did not, like, this is not an area I have any expertise in. Okay. Well, Sylvia Earle, we were screaming with joy when we found her bio. She was the first female chief scientist at the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. She has been National Geographic's explorer in residence since 1998. And the best part of her Wikipedia entry was her nicknames, which include... Oh, my God. Her deepness. (laughs) Her deepness is so good. And the Sturgeon General. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like the Venn diagram of like deep sea exploration and like stoner culture is like very real. Cannot be denied. But shout out to Sylvia Earle. And then we also found a really good Georgia O'Keeffe quote, right? It was Yeah, Georgia O'Keeffe, mother of American modernism. She Mm. knows. She knows what's up. All of Georgia O'Keeffe's quotes are iconic. Remember how I couldn't find her, though? And I did that weirdo Google search to get to the bottom of it. No. I was like, Lady Jackson Pollock, vagina. <laughs> you, you were like, you know, that woman who paints pelvises? I know. And then it like all worked out. She has an entire pelvis series. They're great. So yeah. next time you need an inspirational quote to sub in. Also, it made me wonder, like, I, I need to do some research about how quotes are curated for those sites. Because if it's a Wikipedia style, like, not enough non-white dudes are submitting quotes like maybe we need to have an effort to populate some of these websites that conference organizers are using for their inspo quotes and seeding them with some more incredible women and people of color yeah (laughs) sorry i was googling georgia o'keefe plus racist and i'm like finding things um okay no it's that was i should have done that in my own free time (laughs) what else are we talking about today well i feel like a lot of what's been happening in the wake of the Weinstein revelations and the series of other powerful men in other industries who are being recognized finally for the bad behavior that they've perpetrated for years is that there's like this sub-conversation going on. It's the sound of the feminist police. (laughs) But there's been a conversation also about the women who were enabling some of these men to do terrible things or just like women basically women's complicity and andy zeisler has an article in bitch magazine referring to them as loophole women hang on let me find the money quote here wow loophole women that's good i know okay so loophole women is a term that she took from ariel levy's 2005 female chauvinist pigs book which i have some issues with but we'll set that aside i know it does, does not age well upon reread I'm yeah You know, there's also like Jillian Flynn in Gone Girl refers to her as the cool girl. Alana Massey wrote an article where she was like referring to this as like the chill woman. But basically like women who don't want to step too far out of line with men and, you know, don't identify with women. They're basically like, oh, yeah, y'all are victims over there. I'm here on the side of men, like just living my life. Like I'm, I'm above it all. Andy Zeisler is saying these are women who need to be held accountable Maybe not to the degree that men are held accountable for their bad behavior, but because they function as gatekeepers to men who are doing this bad stuff and they're erasing other women. Yeah, you know, I think the reason that like articles like this are important, well, there's like many reasons, right? Like, and I have not read the piece yet, but you know, I trust your reading of it, is the fact that so many, there's like so many different conversations that are happening. One is that, like, if you are a woman and your first instinct when you hear, like, of a male behavior is to think, 
but that guy is really nice to me mm. is to really like before you say that out loud is to pause and like the real question that you should ask yourself is why is that person nice to me and why have they done something terrible to somebody else the siren sound you hear is the feminist police <laughs> <laughs> the sound of the beast <laughs> whoop whoop uh, <laughs> I used to sing that song at police cars all the time. Uh, anyway, Houston people problems. Yeah, it's to really, really examine, like, instead of the defensiveness of, like, you know, like, rising to the occasion of, like, defending a man, it's to really just pause and think, like, why, why are they kind to me or why have they helped advance my career, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And somebody else had a negative experience with them. But I think, too, is this reminder that there's so much of the conversation, too, around this that, like, when we start talking about, like, what are policies that we can put in place to to stop, like, bad male behavior? A lot of people say, like, we need to have more women in power or we need to have more women in positions of power. And I'm like, mm, sure, but, like, what kinds of women, right? Because you have women who are in charge of, like, sub, uh, who are in charge of places, like, take Facebook, for example, uh, a company that you might have heard of. You Wait, what? You take a company like uh, Equifax, for example, who also has a woman in charge. And uh, bad things happen there, you know, or like they are not, they're, they're not where they're supposed to be. And so I think that thinking that like sisterhood is what is going to save you is like very misguided. And, uh, and thinking about like what constitutes like actually having women in power. Is it just having like one? Is it having many? It's like, what kind of background do they have? What kind, uh, you know, like what kind of like their politics and their policies are. And so there's not a simple solution to any of this. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's questions about women in charge of an organization where this behavior is allowed to flourish. Like that's one type of loophole woman to use this term. But there's also women who, you know, I think like are probably in this super, super misguided way trying to protect and separate themselves. There was that New York Times op-ed by Blossom. Did you read that? Uh, Blossom, so problematic for so many reasons. But yeah, tell the people what the op-ed was about so I can be even angrier about it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quote one line from it, which is, I dress modestly. I don't act flirtatiously with men as a rule. <laughs> um. Let me hit you with the headline. Blossom's a fucking liar because <laughs> um, she is. And that's like one of the problems to me that was wrong with that op-ed. And she's like been on the record like before t calling out like specific pop stars about how they are. Like one being Ariana Grande, which we've also discussed on this show. But it How they are meaning how they dress. Yes, how they dress, you know, and like and how they present themselves. But the thing with Blossom, that actress that is really funny to me is that she has, like, in the past accused Ariana Grande of, like, dressing provocatively. And I literally found a picture on the internet where they were both wearing the exact same outfit. Mm. And I was like, girl, how come you are, like, comfortable calling out other people? But, like, all I see is you showing skin, 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 skin here. Also, that argument is really dumb. Like, call it saying that being modest is what protects people from being harassed it's like one that doesn't hold any water when you think about like how many children are sexually assaulted um the argument doesn't hold any water when you think about the fact that women in uh really modest societies get harassed and raped also mm -hmm. 
it's like work out your ugly duckling feelings in like in your own personal life. You don't have to pathologize them to how other women live. Right. And also pretending that what you wear will keep you safe, like won't actually keep you safe. Like yeah, I think anybody, there's a self-protective impulse in that too. Anybody who's ever been street harassed while like wearing a like garbage bag knows that this is not true. Right. Like if, if what you wore determined like how you were treated in the world, then we would all be wearing like the exact same outfits. Right. Even though I do feel very sexy in an oversized chunky turtleneck. Like like it would pass Blossom's <laughs> modesty test. Yeah. Because watching that whole conversation play out in this moment was so infuriating for so many reasons. I was like, one, the New York Times op-ed page set you up and you didn't even see it because you thought you were smarter than you were. And also just that argument comes from like a personal place as opposed from a systemic critique. And that's also why it fails where she's like, here's been my experience in Hollywood. It's like, actually, nobody cares about your experience. We care about like the systems that enable people that enable people to act bad and systems that destroy people's self-esteem. So sorry, Blossom, play again next time. Right. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, I don't want to say it's on a continuum, like cleanly from like, you know, bad to like good or something like that. But like this behavior is not all parallel or not all the same. Like writing a bad op-ed and literally being an assistant who knows that women are going to be assaulted and leading them into another room are like, you know, those are like, those are different things and I don't want to conflate them. But I think that like bringing them up all in like a similar context does serve a point. You're right. Of like, these are people who are not thinking systemically about things and are like thinking that they can separate themselves from, from rape culture, from a system that does this to women more broadly, from like men who are predatory. And that's just not possible. Right. Or that also that women who find themselves on the receiving end of harassment or on the receiving end of sexual assault really have done something to put themselves there. Mm -hmm. Because I think that whenever you try to excuse that behavior, you were literally saying like, well, you know, like, here are the coping strategies that I had and here is like how smart I was or here is how like my beauty and my power shielded me or whatever. Instead of like realizing how much like these are all like really crimes of opportunity and you know therefore the grace of god go all of we like they can happen to anyone and it's really it's never your fault if it happens to you yep but we always find ways to rationalize blame and somehow like the women who are the victims are the ones that are supposed to shoulder some of the blame which is ludicrous yeah i mean and then i think the the thing i get wary at though when i read articles like this one which are calling out a phenomenon that is important to talk about for sure but I'm also aware of the ways that it places attention again back on like what women are doing as opposed to keeping the focus on like people who are perpetrating in my mind like greater offenses like assault and harassment directly. And I think that the idea that you want to you want to have these conversations while thinking about the intention of the person in question like if someone is setting out to just write an incendiary op-ed, like, yes, who cares? Like, let's trash them for that decision. But I think that, like, there's a complicated set of questions you have to ask when you're focusing your attention on other women who have not perpetrated these crimes as opposed to on the men who have perpetrated them. And I think about, like, trying to do, like, systemic work, like, build a broad movement to, like, to undo this. And I just want to keep the focus on the worst people, <laughs> frankly. Right. And the focus on the people who like, like commit crimes, yeah. you know, I think that that, 
it like there are many ways in which like we are all complicit with patriarchy and rape culture like even you know like us like skin in the game feminists that's the thing that i think we should all be asking ourselves and then really making distinctions with people who are like actual collaborators and were accessories in crimes and having like honest conversations about that but at the end of the day it's like the men who do the bad things should be held right. <laughs> responsible and accountable and and it's a shame that they're not yeah and i think that like there's it's hard it's hard to keep that in perspective like while also because i do want people who i'm trying to get free with <laughs> to hold me accountable when i do things that are actively undermining other people you know like whether or not I realize it. Hopefully I'm not doing it on purpose. Hypothetical version of me. But I don't know. Have you ever read the the second wave Joe Freeman essay about trashing? Yes. Ugh. So real. So real. Perpetually relevant. It's from April 1976. And yet like 40 years later feels very on point with the way that some of this stuff can play out. Usually it's more um, like I think that she's referring more to uh, people who are kind of like playing who's the best activist <laughs> as opposed to calling out women who are actively undermining other women. But yeah. the, um, the dark side of sisterhood. Yeah, we can, we'll link to it in the in the show notes. But essentially, like this is the scenario you don't want to evolve, which is like people who are generally sharing political aims taking each other down for being slightly off message or for being seen as undermining like the movement with a capital M as opposed to recognizing that we can all come at this problem in different ways and we all experience it in different ways. So just want to point out that like this is not new. And again, I guess the examples in Andy's loophole women essay are not all like from this precise moment in time. But I just want to point out that it it exists in like a long history of like a big, a big long historical feminist quagmire. <laughs> Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me, Aminatu. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com. Offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off.
do you want me to hit you with some posy news? I saw that you put such good posy news in the agenda. I'm like so excited about you to tell me about it. Well, I just I don't know when I was when I was thinking about what we should talk about this week. There there ended up being lots of articles about incredible things that girls around the world are doing individually, not collectively. I do wish girls around the world were united. In <laughs> girls massive. around the world, my nonprofit, <laughs> <laughs> my public private partnership. Oh my God. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Like what example? Okay. First one, my hometown newspaper, the Los Angeles times wrote about this annual event called young storytellers in which fifth graders write scripts and then Hollywood celebrities read them and enact them. Amazing. And one of the prominent ones this year was composed by a woman named sorry young woman named grace annie it's called small hands orange face (laughs) who is it about (laughs) i don't know i mean maybe i'll give you a few guesses um we'll we'll link to the video and you can like see part of a reading she got tony hale and natasha rockwell and max greenfield to perform her screenplay this is amazing i know i'm like give her wait what's this what's the give her a tony (laughs) I'm like, what's the award for, for plays? For plays. <laughs> We're going to take you to a play. Um, um, that's This is so great. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, it's true what they say. The children, they are our future. <laughs> oh, my God. And there's news about an 11-year-old steminist in Flint. <laughs> Tell me more. Listen, I know about this from you from via NPR. So this young woman in Colorado, Gitanjali Rao, had watched her own parents like test for lead and realize how unreliable the process was. And she set out to change that. She invented a lead detecting device. Oh my God. Look at this baby's feminist. She's so great. Here's what the seventh grade, she's in seventh grade. Here's what she says. I had been following the Flint, Michigan issue for about two years. I was appalled by the number of people affected by lead contamination in the water. Me too. Seventh grader. Me too. I went, well, so she talks about like the the water testing process and how it's basically garbage. I went, well, this is not a reliable process and I've got to do something to change this. This girl is amazing and she's a little baby scientist. Look at her at the 3M Innovation Center. You should really look up this article on NPR. Everything about it is great. Yes. I am really into this 3M Young Scientist Challenge that she's also into. I love these kids. Baby Steminist. I know, baby Steminist everywhere. Also, she goes on to like really explain how her process works. And that's where like I have to get off the train where I'm like, (laughs) I don't actually understand how you test for lead in water, but I'm going to believe NPR. But like, I think that's really cool. Also, she was named America's Top Young Scientist. A distinction that comes with a check for $25,000. Girl, put that money away for college. This I hope is, she's learning how to invest. I know. <laughs> this is so great. Did you read this feature about Amy Cuddy? 
queen of power posing. I did read the I did read the feature in the New York Times magazine, and it was like it was a lot. Right. So Amy Cuddy is the researcher who um, has given one of the most popular TED Talks of all time. I guess let me find the number of how many millions of times. Yeah, so the video of her talk about power posing is now Ted's second most popular. It's been seen by 43 million viewers. And she also has a best-selling book that she wrote in 2015 called Presence that is partially about her power posing research, but other, you know, other research about power and the body and um, stereotyping. So... At the time, she gave the talk and got popular for all this research. She was on the faculty at Harvard Business School. These days, she is not on the faculty at the business school anymore, and all of her research is being questioned, and everything seems like it's kind of spun out of control. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that was really crazy about reading this article, is just, like, how many levels (laughs) there are. You know, like, it's, like, on, on one... On one hand, it's really an article that's about, like, the subjectivity of data. On the other hand... It's an article about, like, I don't know, the human side of, like, the replication crisis in social psychology. And also it's about, like, sexism and bullying and social science. Like, it just, it has everything. Okay, well, back up. Beep, beep. Um, Beep, beep. (laughs) Beep, beep. (laughs) So maybe talk, explain that a little bit more. Like, the, like, the fact that it's about replication or, like, what what is, like, the social science thing that's going on? Well, I mean, this is the problem is that I've read, like, thousands of words and I'm like, I don't think I understand what social psychology really is about, which is probably what made the TED, the power posing TED Talk, like, so compelling and, like, spun an entire brand for her is that whatever business she was in she had found like a really simple distillation like a a thing that you could tell people right so one reason I think that her research was so exciting to many people is that she and her co-researcher said that they had found like physiological responses that when people power pose they had hormonal shifts and like stress related shifts that made them that were associated with more confidence or like being calm in the face of adversity. They also found when people self-reported how they were feeling, that they were feeling more confident after power mm-hmm. posing. And basically the part of it, the part of that research about physiological response has not been replicated. So that's like the replication thing that you were referring to. When other researchers have tried to get people to power pose and then talk about how they feel and test their cortisol levels and things like that, they did not find a correlation between power posing and being less stressed out or being more confident. However, she claims that the she still stands by the research about it changing how you feel about yourself. And I thought that that's not like a super forefront thing in the article. It's more about drama and academia and replication and things like that. But I, I think it's pretty... Academia has so much drama. Oh my God. Academia is nuts. Like, it's like reality <laughs> TV. I'm like, why is nobody talking about this? These people are all banana. Well, the whole structure of like their entire industry is crazy where they're giving out more PhDs than they have jobs for and then like also scamming students and no, also it's the scamming adjuncts. It's like the real yeah. apprentice is academia. It's just like the whole thing is wild to me. Yeah, it is like a weird pyramid scheme. And so like, of course, you know, we just talked about trashing. Like, of course, there's lots of infighting when you are in a precarious position. But also, you know, and this is sort of implicit in the article. It's like not front and center that like one of the reasons why she became a real poster woman for this quote unquote replication crisis is because she was a woman who made really popular research or whose research was like very, very 
economically beneficial to her too. You know, this best-selling book and all the talks. And yeah, like she she got a platform out of it. She like became a household name. And but the thing that I was like really, I guess, was like very the some one thing that was like not weird that I was like, hmm, of course, is that how many like social scientists like go through this stuff, right? And it just so happens that like now the woman is the one that is becoming like the poster child for maybe social science is not all that it's cut out to be. And maybe going from academia into the real world this way is something that is frowned upon. One of the things that was really that was really fascinating in the comments to the piece on the New York Times and also even the the general response about Amy Cuddy was just this whole like she really put herself out there. Like there's something wrong with that, you mm-hmm. know, and just, and all of the manifestations of success, I guess, or um, yeah, like that whole thing that you were saying, like she was doing well financially, she was whatever, and how that's an indictment of her work, like making work that is popular. Right. A best-selling book is the academics version of a short skirt. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, I don't know, like Malcolm Gladwell does some crazy stuff. Like nobody's coming for him, you know, like. He also doesn't have tenure. No, yeah, he doesn't have tenure, but, you know, there's, like, a bunch of these people who, like, make, like, TED Talks or they do, like, I don't know, like, pop culture, like, nonfiction, like, blockbustery type work. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to me that this one is the poster child for, like, why that's wrong. Yeah, I mean, feminist thinking cap, why could it be this one? Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> like, this is, you know, I'm just like, wow, gender complicates everything. And it's interesting, too, like, there are other professors quoted in this article who say that, look, like in the past, everyone was encouraging members of the academy to make their work popularly accessible. And there's been like this complete reversal or backlash that she seems to be bearing the brunt of. So like really like she was really successful at a thing a lot of people were pushing to do at one point. And it looks though like, okay, so the where this ends up though is that she's working on a new book project Um tentatively called bullies, bystanders, and brave hearts about, <laughs> about people who, who like essentially went through what she went through in, in terms of having their work questioned and becoming figures on whom everyone's drama about things not related to them is like, or is like concentrated. <laughs> also just like academia, get your, get everything, get it together. Yeah. Academia is so shady. I'm here for it, but it's shady. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'll probably read her next book for sure. I'll probably keep on top of this drama. But also I was really, I really enjoyed that this article I felt like was really fair to all sides. Like I I rarely feel that way about something, you know, like something that can be like so personal or can like be a takedown. And I was like, you know, good job, Susan Dominus. This was, it, it felt fair to all sides. There are good people on many sides. <laughs> so are you are you still power posing is the question. I mean, I still power pose, not because of science, but because like <laughs> opening up your diaphragm feels awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's like generally what she said too, right? Like if you feel if yeah. you feel better, it's still worth doing, even if you know your cortisol levels don't shift. Right. You know, it's just one of these things that I'm like, you know, if this is wrong, it's a victimless crime. Like <laughs> let let Amy Cuddy rock. Like, it's cool. Okay, and with that, hands on hips. I will see you on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> hands on hips, deep breath. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. Download it anywhere you listen to your faves or on Apple Podcasts where we would love it if you left us a review. You can email us, callyrgf at gmail.com. 
We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at CallYRGF. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Sneed. This podcast is brought to you by the wonderful Gina Delva. Gina D. See you on the internet. See you on the internet.